0: Hi, and welcome to For Whom the Cell Tolls. I'm your host, Keenan, joined, as always, by Scout the Pomeranian. I am actually going to maybe link her Instagram to this, because my wife insisted that she's beautiful and the people must see her. So you can always click on it, or you don't have to. I don't think she'll be offended. So I wanted to start today's out, and I, oh, before I start, I'm sorry, I've been super busy. Um, we're still doing research. Everything's good. I'm actually going to change jobs and do teaching again. So that transition's been going, so I've actually been having to get everything ready for teaching um, so that's taken a little bit of my time up but I have tons of podcast things that I always want to talk about um, and some of you have actually reached out and talked with me and given me ideas and that's been super cool to be honest. I didn't ever really know doing this if uh, if it would reach more than you know my immediate friends and such but it's actually been super fun and I get to talk with all kinds of people over the world you know I did a reddit post and I met someone who did game theory. In cancer treatment, and those papers were amazing. Like, you should, yeah, I'll I'll try and maybe link something up to those someday. Um, but in any case, I wanted to go over what I well, what I wanted to go over today. So I want to start with a riddle, and it's not really a riddle; it's just basically a question. What is in today's day? I'm oh, sorry, in today's day, in today's age, what is the most dangerous weapon you can imagine? Now, if you're thinking of nukes, we die. Some kind of super bug, super virus engineered, we die. Some doomsday device, we die. Those aren't dangerous weapons because the outcome still means that the offender will lose no matter what. Pretty much under any circumstance, in fact. So the most dangerous weapon is the same dangerous weapon as 100 years ago, maybe even 200 years ago, maybe even 1,000 years ago. It's an idea. Because ideas can... They can turn into beliefs. They can bounce around like, you know, kind of like diseases. And when ideas turn into beliefs, certainty starts to rise up in those that take up on this belief. And beliefs are kind of a funny thing because you can believe whatever you want, literally. And, you know, that's actually... There's no reason for me to stop you from believing anything you want. It's not my business. It's nobody's business, really. I mean... The thing is, though, is that if you look at the world and you see what the truth is and what a belief is, if you have a belief, you have to be ready someday to confront the fact that your belief and the truth both cannot be the same. And you have to be ready to either defend or adjust that belief. And that's why beliefs, you know, I think they're very rigid. I think that ideas are always much better. They definitely are better for learning about things. Um, But what's life without beliefs? You know, I think that's also tough. And that's also something that you can't really get along without because then, you know, you know, we're human. So, for example, I can believe that I'm the best Super Smash Brothers N64 player on the planet. Literally, I literally might believe that right now. I'm not kidding. There There are probably there are probably like 100 people listening that are better than me. I mean, maybe 10. Okay, yeah, let's be honest here. Those who know me know that I my unfortunate talent is Super Smash Brothers. It's not very useful. That Nobody pays you for that. So Voltaire was the one that said, doubt is a very uncomfortable condition, but belief and certainty are madness. Now, as a scientist, that is something that we have to confront. And I've talked at length about how Scientists will see something, they'll observe something, and they'll say, that's a fact. My way of seeing this system, you know, how this cancer is driven or how these patients respond, that's it. We're done. We're done having this conversation. You know, I've seen people yell down at meetings, go crazy on people and be like, no way, you are a liar. You know, that, you know, that word will come up and it is very tough to find such a level of uncertainty That we can eventually assign something as truth and that's, you know, that's usually the best we can do and that's what knowledge is, is you can, well, objective knowledge, so abstract knowledge like literature, art, things like that, that exists in a whole nother realm, but logic knowledge, it has to be grounded in so little uncertainty that you're wrong or so little uncertainty, yeah, that this this concept that you're thinking of is wrong or your research or something like that, that that is how you can come across. Or, you know, that's how you build knowledge, I should say. So the idea that an idea is a mass weapon and it's something that can turn tides, things like that, especially in our day and age, I actually got the idea from Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast on World War One. He, it was, it's great, by the way, if you have time or drives or anything, definitely hook his stuff up. It's amazing. The World War One stuff is completely out of this world. You, you could never imagine something that crazy. This isn't an ad. It's literally that good. Um, so he talks about when Germany in World War I is being confronted with the Russians on their east and the allies on their west. And they know they can't win with both going at one time. And they need something different. They can't keep winning. They can't win trench warfare. Nobody really can. So, but they have this revolutionary type guy. And he's in exile in Germany. They've got him under watch because if he gets into the German population... He could cause all kinds of uprisings because the Germans are, everybody's mad during World War I. Everybody wants to rebel and be like, let's get this war over. Tons of people are like that. The man that they have in exile is Vladimir Lenin. They send Lenin on a protected train, a secret train, into Moscow and they let him loose. They eventually, they essentially let loose a virus of an idea that Lenin had and Lenin had the idea. The people will become the government. The state will be the people, and we're going to end this war, and it worked. And as Dan Carlin said, the fire that the German generals that decided this, that they lit in their neighbor's apartment, it burned down their neighbor's apartment, and they were thrilled. But that fire came into Germany too, and a lot of people were like, you know, we'd be a lot better off without you guys, without this war. And so things kind of toppled on their own with that in that respect. But it goes to show how far an idea can can reach, how much damage it can do depending on your perspective or how much good it can do depending on your perspective as well. So the reason I wanted to bring this up is I saw a really great seminar, you know, a couple months back. And I've always wanted to kind of address this and address the, you know, kind of the concept of that idea as though it's kind of a disease and not to say ideas are diseases, you know, right. But I want to show you the spread and we will do a strict disease podcast because I love certain diseases, the way they work and how everything, how everything happens. Um, there are other great podcasts on diseases like uh, This Podcast Will Kill You. Those are really good. They're fun. Um, but what I wanted to touch on here is just how we treat medicine, research, science in the age of social media and this kind of viral spread of ideas and how that can be a very good thing, like in the case of dog Pomeranian Instagrams or a very bad thing in the case of something objectively wrong that somebody is going to do voluntarily, not out of necessity. And that, you know, that's kind of your definition of an evil thing, is you're doing something bad for, you know, no reason, I don't know, maybe, well, profit's a reason too, or and because you're just deciding to do it. So social media is kind of this new transmission. And like I said, I see the irony of me saying that having a dog Instagram, but it's kind of taken on a new epidemiology of its own. We saw this in Arab Spring. We see this, you know, during elections, we see this all kinds of ways. You can see ideas bouncing and bouncing and fighting one another, taking on forms, kind of using, you know, real people to float themselves. It's almost like the idea comes into itself as this true thing, like a disease. Uh, Nietzsche said, you know, if you have a thought, that thought existed without you being a vessel for it. It's a really weird idea that, you know, thoughts and all this abstract exist in some universe that needs us to express them, but they still exist. It's kind of a goofy idea, but it's definitely fun in this context. So getting into pure biology here and what this seminar that I wanted to kind of reflect on and discuss was about was... Stem cell clinics. So everybody remembers stem cells from the '90s. Very big controversy. You know, we were using stem cells from uh, fetuses to, you know, do scientific research. Stem cells are very special because they can turn into a great number of types of cells. So we talked about how genes on in an intestinal cell are going to be very different than those that are on. And turned on and off in that combination in your brain or your skin cells or your liver. So we can use stem cells to study all kinds of things and all kinds of mechanisms. And, you know, where they came from in the past was controversial. And, you know, we kind of shut things down. But if you've noticed, things are pretty quiet on that front now. We got past a lot of that research that we really needed you know, any, any kind of tissue for. I think we can actually just grow them in the lab now. I, I could be mistaken on that. I should Somebody should check me on that. But I do know that, that that has kind of died down. What's kind of come up in its place is kind of still riding that hype wave from the 90s are these stem cell clinics. So as you can well imagine, there are diseases that we don't understand how they work. We don't know how to cure them. We don't even know how to treat them. Stem cell clinics are the perfect place for kind of this predatory example of capitalism where somebody will open a stem cell clinic. They can probably get their hands on some stem cells and they say, come in. We're going to help you out. You can't walk. you're, You're paralyzed. Look at this YouTube testimonial that one of our clients did. And this person can walk now. It's a very dangerous thing to offer something like that. And it does take someone or something that has intentions that are not very pure. So on this example, and on these stem cell clinics, this is, you know, I'm gonna kind of elaborate on this. There are about 500 in the US, something around that range. What they're offering is hope. And the first thing I wanna touch on is that's not a bad thing. I'm gonna touch on this at the end. You need hope. You need hope to fight. You know, there are certain diseases that you can't give up against if you want a chance. So these places are peddling hope. The problem is, is that biologically, we can't control stem cells. We've tried. We've tried for 20, 30 years or something. We've tried things called reprogramming, where we direct stem cells to become something. We've tried, I, I can't remember, it's not called deprogramming, we've tried to take cells that have become a certain specific type of cell and bring them back into a stem cell state and then put them into another state. Wouldn't that be great though, right? You could take cells from one part of your body, take them out, make them stem cells, you know, because every cell has all the genome in it, right? Turn on and off the right genes in the right combination in the right order, make them stem cells again, put them back in your body, let them become you know, whatever whatever tissue or cells that you need rejuvenated. It just never worked. The other thing is, and how this all relates to cancer again, is that stem cells can become anything. It's really dependent where you put them and what other cells they're around. If you don't give them the right signals, a ton of the time, they will just turn into cancerous monsters because they don't have the same checks and balances because stem cells are usually around when we're developing, either as fetuses or you know, very young children. Uh, we do have stem cells in our body that are small populations, but they're small populations that are controlled. So for example, B cells, like I always like to elaborate on, they're in your bone marrow and they start as these hemopoietic stem cells. And that's where you know we rejuvenate a lot of our, you know, our white blood cells from. But... The idea of taking these cells and saying that you can control them to treat a specific disease in a specific person, and let's be honest, these stem cells are not from the person you're taking them from. That's a whole other issue in immunity because they're not your cells, even if you know your immune system will attack them a lot of the time. So why these places are doing so well, it is the social media aspect of things. It is YouTubes, Facebooks, all kinds of things that are saying, this clinic made me better. It can make you better too. Do not believe your doctors. Do not believe any of the scientists. You know, what's new for us though, there though? Um, you know, believe me. You know, watch as I get better in these videos. The movie Contagion did a very good job showing this. It's about a, you know, a flu-like virus that starts ravaging the world. One of the greatest dangers turns out to be Jude Law's character who just goes online and he says, "Hey, I'm using this product and I got better. Go after that product, buy as much as you can." And people start flooding the stores after this product and tearing things down and going crazy. And you kind of see that like, you know, like most zombie games you see that it's not the disease or the zombies that are bad, it's actually us that turn evil every time. But again, that's a whole nother conversation on free will, choice to be evil or good, things like that. So one of the biggest things that you as, you know, science people, as any people have to understand about the customers that are looking into this stuff, these people are not evil that are going to go into these clinics and say, and then start posting about how they feel better, anything like that. I remember during this presentation, somebody, you know, I think the presenter said, And then this person went in again after they had this, and oh my god, how stupid. And everybody laughed. I didn't laugh because that's ridiculous. That's the exact thing that I've talked about on this podcast that puts science back so far. It's this terrible, stupid elitism. Yeah, I called us stupid because we are stupid. There's this mutual incomprehension, but the scientists are absolutely to blame for acting like everyone who doesn't, you know, have a degree in something is an idiot. And that's, I mean, sorry, yeah, that's a little... It's a little far, but I mean, you get all these people that are like, how could you ever not know what I know or believe what I believe? So it's kind of a bad thing, I think. you got to remember that somebody who's after hope and after anything that could possibly work, they will do almost anything. You can't just abandon your own, what I think should be logic, and just start calling people and hurting people that... They're just after something. They're just after to protect themselves. They're just there to try and protect their family. So those people are not bad people. However, anybody who opens these clinics knowing what they're doing, you could you could make that case that you're a really bad, bad person. And a lot of the times it's somebody with a degree, with a PhD, with a master's, with an MD, with an RN, with a DVM, you know. All those degrees make you inherently more trusted. Maybe not a PhD like mine. People actually don't like us. Um, But there is a certain trust in that inherent... That inherent trust equals responsibility, especially for those of you in the medical field. People will trust you. And that's something that I I always tell my students, is that I'm never going to question if you can't make it to class. Like, if you tell me, you know, something bad happened, I got to go, you know. Or if you have to reschedule an exam because I'm gonna trust you the minute I see that I can't trust you I'll probably never trust you again it's kind of um, a good example I usually tell them is about crime and punishment you know you can bend morals you can do all this all you want but that's your choice and eventually that debt will be paid to quote Chernobyl Um, and ultimately Doing something because you think in the future the ends will justify the means, it doesn't end well, Um, and that's usually what I try to leave them with, you know, my little literature lesson in, in biology class. But to finish on these clinics, and, you know, and, you know, I'm talking about stem cell clinics, we could point to a lot of other things, you know, think of the other examples right now, I'll ask you as the listener to think of what's something you see on social media that you think, how could somebody think that? How could somebody think that's safe? What they're doing is endangering people. What they're doing is, you know, spreading a, maybe objective lies, you know? I think there are a few obvious examples in there. So, as scientists, the challenge is, how do you confront this? Or, you know, not even as scientists, how, as people, how do, you, how do you confront something that uses emotion to trump logic, And I'm not saying that either or is better. We need both. We need emotion. We need logic as humans. You'll find a lot of scientists who just be like, nope, like vaccines work. Everybody's an idiot. And to be honest, I mean, they really, really do. Um, But you lose the entire battle every time when you have a mother who's like, I heard that these hurt my children. I'm scared. I don't want to do this. Or father, sorry. Or father. I, do, I am scared for my children, somebody help me. And if somebody comes in and provides emotion, emotion will win over logic a lot of the time. You see that bred in social media very, very distinctly, is that emotion and hope and these other things that make us you know, these truly humans, these abstract feelings, they can completely wash away what we can perceive as objective fact and certainty. And that's something that scientists need to understand is that what they're doing and what we, you know, how we approach things has to come from an emotional perspective. It has to come from a human perspective. You have to make biology human. And I think that's something that we always forget. So a good example with the stem cell clinics to finish out is that one way that these things are actually getting fought is that people are coming back after getting treated, quote unquote, at these places, where they got stem cell injections, say, in their face for anti-aging or something, or in their spine. They're coming back with cancers. They're coming back with bone cells growing in their face because the stem cells don't know what to turn into, and they turn into bone. We have no control over these products, and people are starting to come back and say, this is a lie. I am emotionally invested in defeating this place. It hurt me, and they will hurt you. And they take to social media, and now the reverberation is kind of coming back, and that's you know that's an important part of biology. Even just watching systems as one side pushes, you only spring back the other side to recoil and hit it again. So that's kind of an example of how these places are getting hit with their own medicine a little bit. I mean, not to put it not to put it lightly. Um, So, yeah, hopefully I don't get a call over this podcast from the Stem Cell Clinic um, lobby. I don't know. I don't take any funding from them, so I think I'm safe. Um, As far as anything else, I just wanted to kind of just leave you with the reminder that, like I said, logic and emotion are two different sides of the human coin. We need both. You have to approach questions with both. We can't be a purely logical, mathematical, no-mystery Species, We were never meant to exist like that. We achieved something very distinct with our ability to see into the abstract to Kind of feel each other as people you know through ideas and Through something that is very special and I think that cancer patients are Probably the epitome of this you need to be so brave um, to go through something like this to go into an operating room to see your scans to not know what's gonna happen. You need to be ready for that. Your family needs to be ready for that. You need to be strong. You need to have on one hand your objective, you know, your knowledge, your thoughts, everything and on the other. You need to be strong emotionally and your family needs to be around you for that too. They, I mean, just being where I'm at in the hospital, it takes so much every day to to live with that disease. Um, Can't tell you how many departments, how many different resources, a good cancer care place actually provides and is really necessary for, for what these people go through and how brave they really are. Um, so the main lesson I want to leave is just, yeah, you know, if you have a chance to, you know, approach these questions, I hope you do it from both perspectives. And if, you know, if you ever do have a chance to confront somebody that is using hope in the wrong way, You know, don't punch them or anything, but definitely remind them not to, you know, don't poison something that people need. Don't poison hope. A lot of people do need that. We all do, really. Okay, well, that's the end of this one. There was some biology, not not a ton of pure. But at the same time, I do think that this is a really good conversation to have and kind of think how we approach this, uh, you know, this new century that we live in in medicine and research. You know, with everything that's happening on the, on the good side the fact that cancer therapies are accelerating at an exciting rate, you know, especially for you know, for how much money's being go, going in. I do think that we need to be super wary about or not super wary, but super ready for kind of going through things in this new age. So, okay. So Scout is completely put to sleep. Um so hopefully you guys weren't you all weren't. But in any case I'm glad to be back for a little bit. I'll I'm actually going to try and do a bunch more of these in succession here, so hopefully there'll be several episodes to to look forward to. Thanks so much again for listening and I look forward to any feedback, things like that. I totally can get stuff wrong on some of this stuff, so please I'm I'm very open to correcting. Um actually in fact in episode 2, somebody on Reddit pointed out that Uh, The human immune system actually does have antifungal like specific innate defenses so that fungal infections actually wouldn't just be like totally rampant, even if the world was at a certain 37 degree temperature at the equator um, and fungal diseases started running around. So that was a very good point. Um, I can't remember the Reddit username. It was something goofy like most Reddit user names. Anyways, thanks so much for listening. Have a good day and hope to see you again. Bye.